0: Talk about the church. When you say church, this is what most people think of a building that you attend. But biblically, the church is God's people gathered together. Um, God's people being born again believers or disciples of the Lord, not just cultural Christians. The church is a group of people empowered to be a witness because it says in Acts 1.8 that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be his witnesses. The church is here to complete the task that Jesus began and in Luke 19 verse 10 it says that the task Jesus came to fulfill was to seek and save the lost and Matthew chapter 28 tells us to go into all the world and do just that. The church is to preach the gospel of the kingdom in every nation and every people group Matthew twenty four fourteen, and then the end can come so if you'd like to get to heaven faster there's a lot of work to do between now and that point in time the church is to demonstrate that the gospel is true um, we are to put God on public display according to first Corinthians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 the church is to grow and multiply constantly because isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 says that his kingdom and his government will continue to expand and you'll read that at christmas time or hear it at christmas time the church is an organism so organisms that are healthy grow and reproduce it's not an organization 1 corinthians 12:27 says we're the body of christ not an organization the church is to be salt and light in the world Matthew 5:13 and 14 the church is called to be ministers of reconciliation second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 the church is called to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ again second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 the church is a lot different than just a building it's an assembly hall that's what the building is so i've had a number of thoughts about the church over the last week And this is not our church, this is the church in general. And it can be the church in any nation that you want. And I only have six points and they're really simple ones to understand. Point number one, one of the worst enemies of Christians can be good things. One of the worst enemies of Christians, so the worst enemy of the church because the church is the Christians, can be good things. And the good things are in two places. We have good things in the church. So in many traditional churches they're keeping Christians so busy with all the good things that are going on and with things that need to be done around the church building, that they don't have time to breathe. They don't have time to reach out. They don't have time to relax. They're so active that being salt and light in the world is simply a set of verses in scripture that they cannot obey and they just glance right over. It's not a living reality. So good things are happening in church buildings, in assemblies of believers, but people become so engaged in the good things, in the activities, that they quit relating to the world. They quit relating to other people who are not saved yet. They don't build relationships with non-believers in their neighborhood, where they work, where they play. So the church is defeated in being who it's supposed to be by the good things that are in the church. But there's also good things in life that defeat us. We're blessed. And the more blessed we are, the busier we are. Mm -hmm. And the more blessed we are, the less we focus on Jesus. And so many of the good things in our lives keep us busy mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, relationally. We're busy accumulating some things. We're busy taking care of the things that we accumulate. We're busy protecting and defending the lifestyle that we live, often twisting scripture. So we're busy trying to pay for all the things we're consuming and accumulating on credit. Um, because we have a cost to the lifestyle choices that we make. And so we're busy, and there's a lot of good things happening, but those good things in the church and in life are keeping us tied down so that we cannot be the church. They're dangerous. So as a result of the good things, most Christians see their lives so full Of daily living that you give them a little extra thing to do like talk to God read their Bibles Um, there's no time to build meaningful relationships with Christians or with non-Christians because we're busy things are good as a result most Christians live busy lives that are not connected at a deep level with other people Christians or non-Christians we don't talk at any depth in case you haven't noticed we talk surface crap. As a result, we're not, in, we're not intentionally building relationships with the non-believers. As a result, most Christians are not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised us, the freedom that he told us we would have in him. As a result of the good things, we're not reproducing. Disciples are not making disciples. As a result, we're out of touch with the world that we're supposed to impact because we're so busy in our own little world. And as a result, most Christians are secret believers. People don't know we're believers. And the church is misunderstood. And as a result of being busy because we have so many good things, most Christians cannot share the gospel of the kingdom in a way that others would actually understand it. You should try it sometime. How fast you get tongue-tied trying to get it out in a straight line (laughs) so people can understand you. So the church, in spite of everything being good here in North America needs a new understanding of the church and we need to be removing clutter and baggage in our lives. I think one of my kids calls that purging Um, and that's uh, wherever possible we should be doing that. We need to start to travel a little lighter and have a few less things to dust. The church needs to be equipped to touch lives for Jesus, and we need to be released to be the church. So there's lots of good things in the church, there's lots of good things in our lives. And I've noticed overseas, because this works. This teaching could work in any nation, I've noticed overseas that when they had nothing, they were focused on Jesus, they were excited about Jesus, they were in love with Jesus, and they were talking to everybody about Jesus. And the more they have begun to have things like cell phones, cars, nice apartments, jobs, etc., the less they're focused on Jesus, because they've got good things. So, my point was, one of the worst enemies of Christians, the church, because we are the church, can be good things. That easy one to remember? Number two, the gospel that saves us from work, saves us to work. We have too many Christians sitting on their sanctified derriers. That's a French word for your butt. We're saved by grace through faith, not of any works that we might do or accomplish. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But once saved, there is work that we're called to do for Jesus. And each of these tasks is unique to each one of us. And they've been set out since before we made a decision to follow Jesus and before we made him Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. That? Yep. Back? Yes. So after you get saved, it doesn't mean everything's okay. And it doesn't mean you get to sit on your butt. It means you then have something to do. So you're not saved by works, but you're saved to work. And that's Ephesians verse 10, the one right after 8 and 9. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Listen, those were prepared before you accepted Jesus, and they were just waiting for you. And they're not waiting for somebody else to pick them up. They're waiting for you to pick your work up. And it's unique to you. And no one else can do it for you. So here's the problem that that leads to. The work that we do, we call it ministry. What we do for one another in the church is not ministry. It's maintenance. We're just maintaining the flock. What we do out there in your daily lives as you talk to non-believers, that's real ministry. That's the work that's prepared for you. That there are divine appointments that are out there in your life that you need to be watching for and recognizing. Mm -hmm. Believers that don't have that concept of having a ministry to the unsaved are not true believers. They're not saved. Believers need to be intentionally seeking out to touch the lives of the lost because that's what this is all about. So every person who gets saved picks up a ministry, the work that they do for Jesus, and that work will always involve reaching the lost because that's the ministry Jesus had. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And when Jesus, the head of the church, ascended into heaven, just before he did, he said to the people that were his believers, the followers, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. That's the same thing as saying, Go and seek and save the lost. So his ministry becomes our ministry as soon as we become part of his body. That's why he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the things that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these will he do. Christians are to demonstrate that Jesus is alive and well and that he's still doing miracle signs and wonders. Amen? So Paul says, the Holy Spirit says through Paul, My speech, my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Aren't you glad? Because most things come out of my mouth don't sound very smart. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. In other words, prove that your gospel is the only gospel that's true by praying for the sick, praying for the dead, that they would be raised to life, casting out demons. And those are the good works that we're called to do those are the works that you were saved to do and you're to do them at home in your neighborhood in your community at your workplace but God also said go into all the world all believers are called to go to all the nations and we've sat back too long and just certain people go to the nations Jesus said to every believer Go into all the world. All the world. So faith in Christ without resulting works is dead. It's not up there, but that's James chapter 2, verse 14. you got to weigh the two. You've got your faith and your grace and you're saved. Now what are the works? You prove your faith by your works. Okay, third thing that I note about the church, is that we no longer believe that the Word does the work. When I was saved 42 years ago, that was just after Noah's Ark came to rest on the top of Mount Ararat, there was a cute but true saying, and it was this, the Word works if you work it. I believed it when I first heard that saying, and I still believe it. The Word of God is powerful. And we need to come back to that understanding and start to use it because it works when you do. Let me give you some examples. First Peter one twenty-three: since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. There isn't one person on the planet that got saved before they heard the message. The gospel, the seed of God is the message and it brings salvation. The word works. The Bible states that the word of God is living and active and it's working to change each believer, changing them from the inside out. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. (sighs) So I've been reading the Gospels recently. And I started, hi there, I started a new journal. And all I'm doing is writing down the things that Jesus said. You could spend many a sleepless night thinking about the things Jesus said or asked us to do or commanded us to do. They're frightening. And there's some really important things in what he said. And the Word has been working in me as I've been thinking it through, because I don't usually journal about Bible stuff. So here's my point, the Word does the work. So if you're in the Word and believe the Word of God, in the New Testament, then the Word is working inside of you whether you know it or not. The Word will change you from the inside out. The Word will adjust your values, your morals, your dreams, your desires, your lifestyle, and it will also equip you to face life head on. Here's the problem, when life hits you in the face, you stop reading the Word. Well, the the way to get through that, being hit in the face by life, is to get back in the Word. And other people will know when you're in the Word, because your attitude, your actions, and the way you speak change. So the Word of God goes into people. It takes time, but it will bring that person to a point where they will make a decision for Jesus or they will reject him. That's number three. Number four, building the right church depends on using the wrong people. God chooses some really very odd people to be his church and to build his church. You're a bunch of odd people. You're welcome. First Corinthians chapter one, verses 27 and 28. God chose the foolish things of this world to put the wise to shame. He chose the weak things of this world to put the powerful to shame. What the world thinks is worthless, useless, and nothing at all. In other words, of no value, is what God has used to destroy what the world considers important. So God uses the wrong people in building the right church. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses people who are very down to earth, they live in the natural, to do the supernatural. God uses those who are not super intelligent, like us, to confound the wise in their earthly wisdom. God uses those who are losers, rescues them and makes them winners. God uses every member of the church, his body, for some specific ministry to the lost. Listen, God doesn't reject anybody. Being a born-again believer means you have a ministry. And it doesn't matter if you don't know enough, think think fast enough. I don't think fast enough on my feet. I think about something and I can give you the answer tomorrow. Give me time to think about it. It's not the speed of light. No, I'm not the speed of light. So... So we have failed to recognize that God is using us, the church, to build the church. And where too many people are sitting back thinking, well, I don't know enough, I'm not old enough, I'm not wise enough, I'm not... And that's why we're not going anywhere. So God uses every member of the body. And if you need a reference for that, it's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 31, and it's too long to read. Number five... The church should be living and longing for the end of the world. We should be focused on the fact that the world is going to come to an end. We should be desiring the world as we know it to come to an end. And we should be praying for the world to come to an end as we know it. So we're living for the end. And we're the only group of people who are doing that. Other than those who are waiting for the UFOs to come and take them away. With the Scripture. First Corinthians sixteen, twenty-two. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Come Lord, come. That's a prayer that Paul wrote. In another version it says, If any man loves not the Lord, let him be anathema. That's a nice word of being imploding, exploding, disappearing, dying, ceasing to exist. And then the word Maranatha, which is not just the name of churches, like one in Winkler, it means, come, Lord Jesus, come. That's what the word means. And the very last verse in the Bible says, come, Lord Jesus. We need to be praying that. We need to be praying for the end of the world as we know it, and Jesus coming back. Our lifestyle should indicate that we're living as those who believe the end could be near and Jesus could be coming back soon. Every decision we make should be made in light of the fact that we live for the end. That's why when you read your Bible, it says we're not to be in love with the things of the world because the world's going to cease as we know it. So we should live in such a way that our lifestyle shows others the love that we have for God and for each other. So let me give you some verses. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The world there isn't a house or a nice car. The world there is the way the system works. So government, financial, economics, all of those things that are in the system that makes the world tick and move forward, we're not to love that. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Which means every ad that you see on television is trying to get you to be proud, lustful, and desirous. Please note those were the three things that happened to Adam and Eve. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Please note, those are the same three problems that the devil gave to temptations that the devil gave to Jesus in the temptations at the beginning of the gospel. Jesus overcame them by using the word. Because the word works when you work it. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we should be intentionally reaching out and sharing the gospel of the kingdom and his love because you and I know that the end is coming. And we also know that if the end comes before somebody receives Jesus, they're not going to heaven. They're going to hell because there's only two options. The other reason we have the end in mind is because we want to see Jesus come back. And in John chapter 24, sorry, Matthew chapter 24 verse 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, remember, go into all the world, the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We have a way of doing that. We have a way of spreading the gospel to every corner of the world. So the end could come in, maybe not my lifetime, but in the lifetime of our younger people. So some of your kids will see the end. If we get it busy and find out that we really do have a ministry that's unique to us, I'm repeating my points, and get off our butts and get at it. Point number six, the best is yet to come. To misuse a verse in the Bible, which is from the wedding in Cana, the first miracle that Jesus publicly did. Uh, They say he has saved the best wine for the last. The best is yet to come. If you don't believe that, then you live without hope. Mm -hmm. So we're living in trying and desperate times, true? Mm -hmm. We're living a time when darkness is becoming gross darkness. That was prophesied. We're living in a time when the spirit of stupid has been released. You don't have to be male or female at birth. You get to choose later. And you can choose daily if you want to. Celine Dion has now formed a company producing a line of clothes for those who don't want to be either male or female or just simply can't make up their mind. We're living in a time when there are so many people who are living without hope. Listen, 12,000 people lived in the city of paradise. And the city of paradise in less than three hours was wiped out, burnt to the ground. 12,000 people. They're still missing a 1,000 plus people because they were burnt alive in their cars as they were trying to get out. People live without hope. Listen to them when they're being interviewed on the news. We're living in a time when very few people know that they are loved, even the Christians. And we're living in a time when many people do not feel accepted or that they belong. That is in spite of Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, Twitter, Viber, Kick, Skype, FaceTime, Google. What a time to be alive, huh? You can either look at all of that and think, oh, shit. Or you can look at all of that and say, this is exciting because God's going to show up in the middle of this shemuck and do something if we let him, if we invite him. This is a great time to be a disciple of Jesus and be part of the church that's called by his name. Remembering the church is not a building. It's the people. The best is yet to come. Your excitement is overwhelming. Jesus said, go into all the nations. Don't look at the screen. There's nothing coming up for a while. Jesus said that we're to go into all the nations. The word nations, you've heard me say this before, is people groups or ethnic groups or language groups. There are an estimated 11,000 people groups in the world today, still alive. According to a definition, a people group is classified as unreached if less than 2% of the population is made up of born-again Christians. That means that if you are part of an unreached people group, likely you will live and you will die without ever hearing the gospel or the name of Jesus. So out of more than 11,000 people groups in the world, more than 6,000 of them are still defined as unreached. One of those people groups is French-Canadians in Quebec. They are the second least evangelized group in the world. Many of those who have been reached, many people groups that have heard the gospel, the number of believers is still below 5% of the population, so they're still small in numbers. Folks, it's a great time to be alive. We can contact people around the world without paying long-distance costs. We can travel to the other side of the world for less than $2,000 return. We can get on the Internet and put anything up you want, including the gospel. You can start your own website. You can start your own ministry. You can have worship. You can do whatever you want. We live in a tremendous, tremendous world. And the challenges may be great, but we got a great thing we can be doing and investing our life in. The Bible says that in the last days, there's going to be an increase in lawlessness and the love of many will grow cold. But, and it's a big but, the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's us, excited to be here. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all people groups. And then the end will come. It ain't coming tomorrow. because we have 6,000-plus people groups who have never heard the name Jesus. And we have about 1,000 other people groups that have less than 5% of the people born again. We're not doing our job. In the church that Jesus is building, what we should be doing, what was intended by God that we do do, was not to plan events and hold events and do what you see most churches doing around the world. We are called to equip people. And then once people are equipped, releasing them to do the ministry that God's called each one of us to accomplish. That's pretty biblical. Come on, you've heard me say this for 30 years, some of you. Gave some to the apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and shepherds and teachers To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, I know how to do it. I teach you to do it. You go do it. Pretty simple. Because, sorry, it's up there. For you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you need to be equipped to do those good works. The good works isn't making cookies for your new neighbor. It's raising the dead, casting out demons, healing the sick. we We're not here to entertain the saints. Listen, we're not here to entertain the saints. We're not here to meet your needs. You've got a savior. You've got a great shepherd. He'll meet your needs. We're here to win the lost. So I want to give you a true story a true story from a communist nation. And we're gonna call the guy that we're gonna talk about, Dominic, that's not his real name. Dominic is in his 60s. He has been a believer, a member and a leader of a relatively small house church for most of his life. Dominic's passion is telling people about Jesus. You'd call him an evangelist, they call him a Christian. He was once brought before the Communist Council in his community to be questioned about his faith and his evangelistic work. When he attended the meeting, he walked into the interrogation room with a large rock in his hands and he plopped it down on the table in front of the men who were about to question him. Surprised, one of the communist people, men, asked Dominic, why did you bring this rock with you? And Dominic replied, Before we begin my questioning today, I want you to know something. If you try to stop me from telling people about the greatness of Jesus Christ, then this rock is going to start speaking for me. You and I know that he was alluding to Luke 19.40, where Jesus says that the disciples don't proclaim his glory, the stones would cry out instead, but they didn't understand that communist leaders had no idea what Dominic was talking about, so they conferred with themselves and decided that Dominic was out of his mind, and he couldn't hurt anybody with his stories, and so therefore they released him without further questioning. <laughs> a little of him. Dominic's passion to tell people about Jesus translates into a commitment to train people in the house church. When Dominic leads someone to Christ, Dominic takes personal responsibility for helping that person grow in Jesus. His goal is for that person to become a leader in the church, eventually to leave the church, plant another church somewhere else. Dominic's church has now planted more than 60, six zero other house churches in his country with nearly every one of the leaders personally trained by him. He does not organize ministry for people. He does not minister to his people. He mobilizes people for ministry. That's a New Testament church. That's the same model you'll see in the life of Jesus. He spent more time with 12 men than with everybody else put together. And in John 17, if you've ever read it, where he recounts his ministry before going to the cross, he doesn't mention the multitudes that he preached to or the miracles he performed. As spectacular as those things were in his life, they were not his focus. 40 times Jesus speaks to and about the 12 men in whom he had invested his life, 40 times in one chapter. That was his focus. So when he came to his ascension, After his death, his resurrection, and appearing for several weeks to all of these people, Jesus had no buildings. He had no programs to point to, no crowds to boast of. Most of the crowds he ever had walked away from him. He had 120 unschooled, ordinary people who gathered together, a small group with a small band of leaders. And he had one command, make disciples. Do with others what I have done with you, is what he was saying. I discipled you. You were my focus, 12 of you, for three whole years. So do for others what I've done for you. So don't sit in a classroom, go share your life. Don't build extravagant places, build extraordinary people. Make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples, and then we can multiply and the gospel will go to all people. That was the simple command that drove the early church. And it's the same simple command that should drive us because we are the church. Amen? Listen, you need to watch how they do it in the Bible. Every Timothy needs a Paul. And every Paul needs a Timothy. So you need someone smarter than you, more mature than you, to help you. You need a Paul. But at the same time, you need a Timothy. You need somebody that you're discipling. You need to be mentored, but you also need to be discipling. And that's how the church will expand throughout the whole earth. It's not complicated. We could do this in one decade, one small generation. Amen? Amen? Okay, so here's the summary. One of the worst enemies of Christians, the church, because we're the church, can be good things in the church and also in the in your life. Number two, the gospel that saves us from work saves us to work. Number three, the word does the work. Number four, building the right church depends on using the wrong people. Hey, we're good at that one. Number five, we are living and longing for the end of the world. And number six, it will see everything that's going on as a challenge. The best is yet to come. Amen.